Hi, I'm Noah Nelson, host of the No Persinium podcast, a show about immersive theater, VR, escape games, and all that kind of stuff. But this isn't that. While we're hosting this bonus series on our podcast feed, this is a show all about the 2017 DuckTales TV series. It features our longtime collaborator, writer Zay Amsbury, and myself as we dive into the treasure trove that is the DuckTales reboot. We're calling it Webbed Toes, the DuckTales footnotes. This is a show for people who have seen or are watching the series, an exploration of theme and storytelling, and it goes all over the place. Which makes sense when you realize we started doing this to replace our weekly Westworld discussion, which ran out of gas as season three rolled on. So yeah, this is one of those shows. And if you like those, we hope you like this. And you should really, really watch this version of DuckTales. up um it's been it's been ages at this point no you know it's been it's been a very long time yeah many things have happened (laughs) too too many to too many maybe we'll check in a little bit afterwards because when we weren't recording um (laughs) and i feel like i feel like i feel like there might be some things that just like tonally we don't want to hit before we start talking about cartoon ducks yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I I must say it was um it was a a a nice relief to go back to the Ducktales world for three episodes. Yes, um, I might even just like start. We've started. Um, we'll start with that statement from you. Uh, yeah, I uh, it's been it's been so long um, since I engaged with that material that I just tonally it was nice to be there i was like oh yeah it also made me like super nostalgic for the beginning of quarantine (laughs) i think you may have touched on this before where it's like oh oh, man i know i know that's where we are that's where we're at right now right yeah right now we're nostalgic for late march that's where we're at nostalgic for late march nostalgic for late march i'll take april you know (laughs) like I'll yeah. take April or I'll take April and parts of May, you know, like yeah, I mean, and and anything pre-brown shirts I'll take, you know. <laughs> we are of course going to jump into three episodes today, and for those of you who were playing along at home, you probably noticed uh, that Disney uh, juggled the Disney Plus order around a little bit. Um, so we're sticking with the, uh, online version. Um, oh, that's something actually I should like fire up. I turned everything off, but I just realized I need to have that up. Uh, we're sticking with the online version, which means that our watching order day is going to be Jaws, uh, as our first episode, uh, followed up by the i'm gonna get this name correct here for everybody uh followed up by the golden lagoon of white agony plains it's just the best title uh and uh spoiler alert what might be my favorite episode of the series so far day of the only child um, that is good to hear because I, I i didn't i didn't echo in my memory that you had said that one of these was your favorite and as i was watching 
Day of the Only Child, which is for sure my favorite episode so far, uh, I thought it could only be Day of the Only Child. Yes, yes. We're going to get there. We're so going to get there. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, but for those of you who are watching uh, along on Disney+, Plus, uh, they actually shuffled Day of the Only Child ahead of uh, Beware the Buddy System as part of some kind of reshuffling that happened, which now has... Woo woo and uh, the um, the 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 uh, escape and or escape from Atlantis uh, at the top where they belong, but for some reason in reordering the watch order so that it's correct at the top, they have screwed around with the watch order. So we're using the Disney.fandom.com list because that's been the order that uh, we originally watched in. Um, when we hit season two, we'll we'll compare notes and see what seems to make the most sense. But this is also the the a lot of the order that they were broadcast in. So that's what we're really interested in kind of recreating here. So kicking <laughs> starting off, uh, we're gonna is Jaws, the slugline for which is the kids in Launchpad work together to capture a mystical money shark while Scrooge attempts to better his public image with a televised interview. Um how'd this one strike you? Well, it started with one of my favorite uh, bits in the entire show, where we have Donald Duck and Lena sitting on a little settee, and Donald Duck talks Donald Duck to Lena, and just as you are trying to figure out exactly what Donald Duck says, because it's a particularly Donald Ducky Donald Duck line, you're trying to figure out what he said exactly, and there's a beat, and Lena just says, what? And then it immediately cuts away. And yeah. I adored that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literally impossible to like understand what he's saying. And uh, just, just a, a, a great character beat. Um, and then, and we dive into, um, we dive into like one of our favorite subjects, which is like Scrooge's adventure capitalism's impact, on, <laughs> impact on Duckburg, um, which turns out to be like not neutral at all <laughs> like a giant no beetle. no but, but the go ahead no no please please well i was gonna say i mean we're i i, I cut myself off because it's it's uh it's jumping the gun but the the what money does and where money goes and where money ends up of this episode is quite is uh uh is satisfying and interesting yeah but no. we'll we'll get to that that last beat when we get there we'll definitely get to the last beat uh they had been climbing a beanstalk and the beanstalk has now like fallen on the majority of Duckburg. Um, and, and, uh, Scrooge, one of the plots is that Scrooge is going to have to, uh, uh face up to a television interview to, uh, polish his image, uh, that Beakley has arranged. Um, and, uh, and Scrooge is just like, well, what, do you, well, what do you mean? I don't, I, we do all these, we do all this stuff. Like my, my adventuring, like gets money for the company. Treasure is good for money. Money's good for the company. And the company gives back through a series of fiduciary <laughs> cutouts, basically. <laughs> and it's just like, it's like Scrooge is, Scrooge is so divorced from the impact of what he does on the world. Right. Like it's, it's not that he's evil. It's just that like, he just really doesn't care about anything but the acquisition of wealth. Right. Um, right. and, uh, other than family, right? right? Uh, you know, I mean, let's face it. He's a libertarian. <laughs> like, 
It's like what's <laughs> what's his? What's his? Except except even then, uh, as as Louis points out, money goes in the bin, not to next of kin. <laughs> so, so really, he just cares about the money. Um, it's it's. Well, I thought I thought this I thought this whole this whole opening sequence was really interesting because um, most of the other episodes were focused on one character or a few characters. And I mean, if we imagine the principal characters to be the three brothers, Scrooge and Webby, which I think they're probably the principals and everyone else is supporting in some way, right? Yeah. And in this episode, you know, as they're bringing each each character in, I was wondering whose episode it would be. And then this turns out to be, I think maybe the first truly thoroughly balanced episode of the season. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking too while watching this one. Like the, the they're getting here's this sequence of of episodes. And the funny thing about Jaws is like when it was coming up, I didn't really remember it. I wasn't thinking like, oh yeah, mm. I love that episode. I was so excited about watching that episode. And then I got into the episode, I was like, oh yeah, this is good. And yeah. and starting to realize that the floor on the show has been raised up so that even an episode that could be kind of eh is really, really, really good. Um, yeah. Even just structurally, like we, we bring everybody together. I mean, this 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 feels in some ways almost more like a play, like opening sequence. We bring everybody together as quickly as possible. Donald's just right. a cameo, but even Donald's there. So we've got within the first like minute of the show, it's Lena, it's Donald, it's Scrooge, the boys, it's Mrs. Beakley, it's Launchpad, and uh, then Webby shows up. And Webby's got the A plot. I mean, Lena's really got the A pot. Lena mm-hmm. is our is our yeah. Uh, Lena really is the protagonist of the episode. Yeah, she's our protagonist, but she's up to no good, uh, which is also what makes it really fun because um, it's mm-hmm. a it's a magica episode, and it and it kind of really starts to it starts to deepen that out a, a bit without giving a lot of lore, and that's fun. It's not deepening the lore; it's just playing into the basic, which is magica wants the number one dime, and in in playing the basic action of motivation of the character were able to explore and, and give some breathing room to the Lena and Magica relationship. Um, yeah. And then of course, if it's Lena, that means it's Webby. And then the, you'd think that the boys are just going to disappear entirely, but they don't, they've got their own that, thing. That was, that was exactly what I thought. What exactly what I thought was that, Oh, okay. So this is going to be a Lena and Webby episode with like, maybe a Scrooge comic bumper as he goes through this interview. Um, but then Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they, they don't go away. No, they don't go away. And then Scrooge does get to do, you know, comic relief stuff. But he's also mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, he, he's, he's, he's essential to the plot as well. Like this one just fires on absolutely all cylinders. And, and they even, you know, they title it Jaws. And indeed, they there's you know, not so much struck, but there's a shark and there's like a shot or two that's composed to like make reference to the movie. So there's slipping. Well, and and some, and a lot of John Williams, uh, musical references, quite a few. Oh, I missed, you know, I should have gotten that and I missed those. Well, so, um, as, as I have mentioned before, um, my girlfriend is currently going through the, uh, the AFI, 
list, although uh, the seal has been broken and she has escaped the initial A AFI 100 list shell because um, as has been pointed out, it is almost exclusively made by old white dudes. Um, that said, uh, we did watch Jaws uh, very, very, very recently. So it's really fresh uh, in my mind. But yeah, the sequence when, when they're on the boat in the vault, um, I, I mean, there was so much John Williams that I actually wrote a note to just musing, how did they do this? Like, how did they bring so much John Williams into the show? I mean, are there not some sort of like, um, uh, uh, is this not a legal quagmire for them to bring in so, because so much of the score was there in that relatively brief sequence. I mean, do they just transpose a couple of notes or something? I mean, they did. They yeah, did. That's, that's enough. That's enough to do it. I mean, trust me, if anyone knows how to shave off the serial numbers off a piece of intellectual property and wedge it into their own, it's our friends in Burbank. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, let's face it, they literally wrote copyright law. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> got, got, got under, you know, our entire culture is in a, is in a deeply... <laughs> deeply unproductive relationship with this company and the company's in a deeply unproductive relationship with us. Like, like it's like, it's like we're Batman and the Joker doomed to do this forever. Um, every time we think we've escaped, they just buy whatever it is we were looking at. Then someone was putting around a thing yesterday online. It was like, it was like a list of, of like all these like franchisee and like story world things like with lo the logos. Uh -huh. My favorite bit about it was that the star Trek logo was, was mislabeled star Wars to the best part. But the second <laughs> best part was, you know, one of the things was Disney and like Disney was in there, Marvel, star Wars, a few other things in DC comics, Lord of the Rings, yada, yada. One of my favorite responses was, you know, if you just if you pick Disney, sooner or later, all of these will just be in there anyway. <laughs> like, how many does it count for? I mean, pedantically, of course, they mean like Disney cartoons and whatnot and the Disney IP. But mm, lawyers would uh, lawyers would argue that just because it's a subsidiary doesn't mean you don't have access to it, um, which we get thanks to Disney Plus are not sponsor. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, they got the music in there. Um, uh, I not, not terribly surprised, but at the same time, like, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's, this doesn't, you know, drive any of the great big themes of the show. Although I, I totally want to unpack this, uh, this bit about where the money goes. Uh, I, want, I want you to riff on that. Oh, and and we should point out that 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 it's titled Jaws, but the S is a dollar sign. It is, yes. So the, it's J A W dollar dollar bill dollar sign exactly. Um, yeah. And it is so like you know, plot wise. I mean, you've you've watched it, d gentle listeners. So you know, Lena spikes the treasure, creates a money shark called Tiffany inside the money bin. It keeps growing. Uh, it. I got to say, like, the moment when the boys are going in to dive in the money bin, um, mm -hmm. maybe to this point, possibly my favorite moment with the brothers so far, right? Like, we get a little window into their world of play, 
uh-huh. and, and their relationship with each other when they are acting as a unit, which. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, you're, you're, that's, that's it. Um, I'm trying right now. I'm trying to think back to when we've seen the three of them truly act as a unit, and I think you're right. And I think it's also very important then that this comes before um, that this comes before Only Child Day. Yeah. No. I th- I think I think Day of the Only Child. Yeah. I think reordering this in front uh, behind Day of the Only Child. Whoever did that made a mistake. Because mm-hmm. that this moment, you know, the trend of the show is to individualize them so much. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we rarely ever get to see their dynamic because they're usually right. off with, with others. We can only see two of them together, right? So, you know, Dewey and – was it Louie or who when they went to inter- – internship it was huey and louie because dewey was off doing yes it was huey and yeah, yeah yeah yeah. so um you know we got to see their dynamic but we don't get to see them all operating together and it's just a little moment right but you know um and and huey who's usually doesn't get to be oddball the fact that he's called upon to sing the anthem of Dudonia, right? You know, yes. it's like yes. Louis sets up the absurd premise. Um, <laughs> Huey executes on it. Uh, it's it's just it's a thing of beauty, and it's just over like yeah. that. But it's those little it's the little notes. Well, and 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 it's also that they're that they're 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 emulating Scrooge, but but in their own way, like they're turning it into their own plaything. They're turning like the iconic. Scrooge McDuck swimming in money thing into their playpen into their, as you said, their imaginal space. Yeah. Um, This one also has a a couple other gags that I love. Um, You know, Beakley using the squirt gun on Scrooge (laughs) to correct his behavior, Um, which like, which hints at like, what is their relationship that Beakley can get away with that, um, right? Like it's like uh-huh. what what the hell's going on there, um, and 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 the and the uh, the setup and then the return of the that's an interesting accent. What part of Ireland is it from? As a way yes. of setting yes. him off royally. Um, yes, and I think too one of the things I was thinking as I was watching this was because I was I was reminded of. Um, so I was imagining a little kid watching this who, mm. um, I mean, l- Lord knows how kids relate to news in the era of unreality and fake news and totally fractured news sources and the internet and um, uh, the age when, when I was younger, it didn't seem like there was a wildly fractured set of news sources. There were like a few and it was possible to set yourself up in opposition for them and say, Oh, this is bullshit. This is wrong. Um, But there wasn't such a plurality of points of view coming at you from so many different points that, that like, I wonder if a kid nowadays sees 
an interview, like if, if there's a kid who sees an interview or reads something about someone they know, like say, say they're into, um, wow, I'm so out of touch. I have no idea what it would be. Like say they're into <laughs> some pop star and they read an interview with the pop star. Right. I have to say pop star. That's how incredibly out of touch I am. Right. Um, I guess it would probably be a K-pop star. They, they, they read an interview with this pop star and they take it at face value and they say, oh, okay, so this is now I feel like I know who this person is, right? Um, whereas the interview is going to be set up by a PR person and the talking points are going to be agreed upon beforehand. And there might be some sort of conflict between the pop star and the interviewer, or maybe the inter maybe it's really just a puff piece. But the idea that what you actually read is not the truth of the situation, you know? Right. And I wonder if if watching the way that Scrooge McDuck is being um, trained on how to deal with this potentially adversarial interview um, with the understanding of the interview itself. It's, it's not about truth or falsehood. It's just about how the interviewer and the interviewee manage each other. I wonder if that's like a moment of, of revelation. It made me think about, about Robotech because Robotech, I think was my very first experience as a kid from a, deeply, deeply liberal progressive family seeing how the military works in a way that didn't seem like, I'm going to use the word cartoonish because I'm contrasting it with GI Joe where like the whole right. point of GI Joe is that each, each, each little soldier is like this total individual, right. you know, like it doesn't really seem like the military. It seems like a club of dudes who get to surf or be a ninja or listen to the radio or whatever they want and, to do. And women. Whereas Robotech and actually women too felt, in G.I. Joe. And women, was, absolutely. Which was, which was, which absolutely. was important. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a pin in the G.I. Joe. Robotech really felt like a, whereas Robotech really felt like a military structure. Like it was hierarchical. You move up, you move down. There's someone who's in control. You have to do what they say, but there's some sort of honor relationship in that. And like that structure, that was the first time I, I sort of saw that structure as something that was useful, honorable, that you could both be, you could be an individual and be part of a military structure, that hierarchy was important for how the unit operates, like all this stuff that I'd never thought of or experienced before. And Robotech was what, was what gave me that. And I kind of wondered if like there's a kid who had just read an interview with someone and then they see this or not read, maybe watched or, or, or something. And then they saw Scrooge McDuck being prepped. Yeah. Like the idea of prepping. The idea of media, media training at all. Right? right. I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause like it's, I'm so glad you pointed this out because it's something that just like, I take it as red because hi, <laughs> my job. Right? right. And I've been doing exactly. this. I've been doing this since, you know, I mean, I've been interviewing people since I was 15, 16 years old. Right. So I've been, I've been doing this for fricking ever. And, mm. um, I've always been kind of hyper aware that, that this is, this is the way it works. Like I, I can barely remember a time before that. And particularly given the media environment we live in these days, where I think a lot of, I mean, when it comes to like tube personalities and TikTok stars and all this sort of stuff, influencers, right? you know, they have, um, 
you know, the, the, the artifice is such that it's designed to look unmediated. And yet right. it is, it, in many cases, it is so mediated, particularly the more resources someone gains access to as they climb the ranks of, of, of social ranking, the, the more mediated their image, their presence becomes, um, you know, which, which can create some real tensions when it comes to some of the more anarchic personalities, like all the Twitch streamers and folks like right, PewDiePie, right, right. where like they, they rose up on the basis of just of being the class clown of being a cut up and of usually being a dick and you get up to a certain level of popularity and power and particularly a certain level of, um, you know, brand ambassadorship and you can't get away with that garbage anymore because, you know, Microsoft isn't having it and Disney's gonna, you know, you know, cut their deal with you. Uh, like you're a liability because our brand can't suffer this. And I don't, I don't even know. I wouldn't know if a, if a kid right now, you know, watches interview media outside of those contexts. I think you get into like teenage right. zone and get into college and you get people who are consuming Joe Rogan or they're, you know, watching Jake Paul interview people or whatever. Uh, both things I right. do not do. I just want to say that I'm aware that such things happen. Um, <laughs> and, and, and all of that, that long form is designed to still feel unmediated. I mean, the show that the stream is on, you know, no pro, um, you know, I don't tend to edit the episodes. There's occasionally a technical thing. And once in a rare while, someone just completely blows it. Like maybe like once a year, someone like blows it so badly and just goes like, Hey, can we just redo that? And be like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, when the stakes don't really matter because someone's just like promoting their show and, you know, they like blew the IP when they shouldn't have said a thing. Um, sure. There's still, in many cases, there's negotiation, right? Like if we go in, let's say when we do go in to talk to say like ILM, you know, there are things we're not allowed to talk about. Things we may have seen, things we may know. Uh, all that work is still done, but the the whole vibe is to feel like, oh, we're just sitting around and talking, right? But this is still a piece of media, right? I mean, Zay and I are sitting here with absolute scripts of everything. No, um, like, like <laughs> we write this. Why do you think this takes so long? We write each episode. No. Um, <laughs> Does the digression go here or is that too soon? I don't know. Oh, man. wait let's, a second. Hold on. My finger plug. Uh, this. There we go. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, that, 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 would, that would actually be hilarious. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this would clue someone in to how it actually works. I think this might be one of those. And this joke is for the adults, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, particularly because part of that in that thread line, you also have the bit where Scrooge is like, you know, it's a distinct, you know, a, a separate but you know, equal Celtic. Bit. You know, it's like, it's like right, really, right, right. like you know, gets into gets into a Scotsman's pride, uh, and and does it in a way that like feels precise, right? 
Like there's there's precision going on here, um, which you know, watching that kind of precision in general is enough to like make you feel confident in where the show wants to take us. You know, um, so you brought up where the money goes. Because as we've all seen at the end, Tiffany, the money shark is defeated through the power of friendship, um, <laughs> um, th- through the power of friendship, uh, Tiffany's defeated, uh, but uh, the, the mass gets snapped up by all kinds of characters. Well, it's not, it's not just, I mean, what's, what's interesting to me uh, is that the, that I mean, you pointed out earlier that Scrooge McDuck doesn't he cares about the acquisition, and he cares about the acquisition as long as it's an adventure. And once he has it, he doesn't really care what happens to it, and so he throws it in a giant vault. And the only time that it seems to be interesting to him is when he swims in it. But here comes magic, which he does not like, and the magic makes it to hard autonomous. Work. I want to point out. I think that's the best part. Pardon? He he doesn't like magic because it's a shortcut to, uh, for hard work. He prefers, yes. He prefers yes. hard work. Exactly. Right. You know? Which is very which is an ongoing lesson of, of the show. Yeah. And his money becomes autonomous and an autonomous predator, and then it goes out into the town, which is receiving no benefits from the fact that Scrooge McDuck lives there. Um, and then the the money that had become autonomous turns back into just coin that's all spread about the town. And in terms of what we're seeing on the TV, because we see this through the perspective of of the interviewer interviewing him, um, having previously questioned what he does with his money, and then the money is all sort of like it it fall like the 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 money shark dissipates and. Um, and all these, all the gold and the coins are all spread out in the town. And the interviewer says, oh, and now Scrooge McDuck has decided to donate his money to the town to actually support the community that he lives in. But the people who actually get the money are all um, the Beagle Boys in disguise. Yeah. It's like the Beagle and Boys, also, Glom Gold in disguise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Glomgold in disguise. The Beagle Boys. Some of the hardworking seagull captains get their get get their share. I feel like, mm. I feel like unless they're smuggling things from Saint Canard, those may be the only people who <laughs> deserve to get um, to to get some money. But it is kind of interesting mm. that like the only the thing that saves Scrooge's reputation is injecting his money back into the system. But because it's done through misadventure and accident and not a sane, stable system of taxation, it winds up benefiting bad people more probably than it benefits Duckburg actually. But Scrooge is able to like earn the plaudits when it's really what we're just saying. What what the episode is trying to teach us is that uh, tax isn't theft. Letting a bunch of Beagle Boys take your gold off a bridge that leads to your personal money bin, that's theft. But if you want to be loved, yeah. let yourself be taxed. See? <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> and and Glumgold, don't forget. The, the 1% gets it to do also. Oh, yeah. Flintard Glumgold definitely gets, definitely gets his uh, 
gets his due there. He gets his one percent. And 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 once again, what does Scrooge and what does Scrooge really is really willing to put himself on the line for, and that's his number one dime. Absolutely, which you know represents represents hard work, right? It's like it's right. it's it's his impetus um, more than more than anything else. Um, yeah. So yeah, for for what is you know in some ways a floor episode of the series, um, just delightful, just yeah, just just so yeah. so much fun. Um, and I think it's a testament to where the show is at this point that the whole show doesn't doesn't become Catherine Tate reunited with David Tennant because Catherine Tate voices uh, Magica, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean we we don't even we don't get any Tate and Tennant like at all um, right. in this episode. It'll it'll be it'll be some time before we we get to hear them playing off of each other. The Golden Lagoon of White Agony Plains. Scrooge reteams Which with is his... a great fantastic title. Uh, Scrooge reteams with his conniving ex-partner and old flame Goldio Gilt to find a long-lost Golden Lagoon, but Glomgold has other plans. Um, my my big note here is that the character of Goldie was, and her episode was one of the things I, I remembered the most about the 87 DuckTales series. And so when mm. I watched this originally, like I went back to go watch the original, which is... Oh, did you? Yeah, which is based a lot more on, not, not today when I rewatched, but like when I initially watched... Um, uh-huh. which is based a lot more on the uh, Karl Barks comic because uh, Goldie's one of his okay. characters. Um, the Goldie, that Goldie is very different from this Goldie. Uh, that Goldie was a singer at the bar up in the Yukon. Uh, you know, there was some misunderstanding with her and Scrooge and then she like, like helped him work his claim and you know, they, they fell in love, but then like, you know, they, they each, they each look to have abandoned the other at the last. So a little bit of the same, like abandonment thing. Um, mm. Here, Goldie is turned into, um, you know, another adventurer, um, sort of the, oh, oh, her, what's, what's the character? Oh, I should know this. You know, Sherlock Holmes. I, I mean, I was doing big river song vibes here. Yeah. But like the original, the original um, version of, of river song is uh, Sherlock's romantic nemesis. Like, Oh yeah. The woman, right. You uh, know um, what's her. Oh boy. Well, someone out there is screaming right now. Uh, and I of course right. have like every version of that character that I can remember is like playing in front of my head. Um, it may come to me. It probably won't. But like that, that archetype, right? I mean, River is that archetype straight up. Like if, if Holmes is the, right. to the point of like, you know, she's a big part of the Sherlock show, you know? And like those guys, man, doesn't, right? Like they love that dynamic. Um, and, they do. and like, I, I like this version of Goldie. Um, I think it fits this version of Scrooge pretty well um the episode i enjoy but like it, it didn't it didn't cause me any like super warm fuzzies necessarily um yeah i mean i i wonder i mean one of the reasons why it gave me river song vibes was because there was so much weird time stuff in it 
Um, You've got their conversation about where she says, how old are you even? And he talks about spending time in a, in a, in a, in a different dimension where time works differently. And she was also in that dimension for a period of time. And, um, and when they were full on antagonists, they end their first moment of antagonism by being frozen together in a block and they stare at each other for five years and like all of this sort of weird time extension stuff yeah. also kind of gave me that vibe. There's um, definitely that. I mean, and- this, I mean, this does the business of like setting up the classic, letting the classic version of Scrooge who earned his initial money in the gold rush to live in the 21st mm-hmm. century by like throwing in all these like super crazy adventures and like impossible things like being, you know, Captain America style frozen for years in a block of ice uh, to get like thawed out later. I, I Watching this time, I was a little, con- I actually found myself a little confused as to like what the rhythm of the relationship was because mm-hmm. when, you know, she, she comes to the mansion and is like locked up Beakley and Webby, which means that she's like, Super competent. Like, if you can best Mrs. Beakley, uh, you you clearly got something going on with you. Uh, and Beakley's like, all you know, how could you let that woman back? And it got slammed. Right? It's like clearly like back in the manor, which means she's been there before. But then there's other parts of it where like the way they talk about, and it's clear they've like they've screwed each other over each other over several times over time but then they also almost act like they haven't seen each other since the thawing out right that is kind of what it seemed like right that's what it felt like that's what it felt like yeah because she has the bit where she's like why why is this different from the other times and his answer is like Mm -hmm. well it's because you know i fell in love with you while we were staring at each other but then you sit back like yeah but all the other times surely must have happened since then because you're talking about flying and yeah so like yeah timey-wimey for certain um and is this the first genuinely screwed centric episode in the sense that like he's the he is he is the he is of the principal cast he is the one who is in 90 percent of the episode and the other principal cast is not you know i'm i'm gonna roll back through because i know I know there's at least one more coming up, but yeah, like this is, this is Scrooge as the central protagonist. Um, and, and granted it's because we're investigating Scrooge's backstory. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's sort of it. Like Scrooge is only allowed to be at least so far. And I think for some time is only allowed to be, you know, the actual lead protagonist and have the emotional stakes of the episode clearly in his, in his camp. If we are dealing with his past, it's, it's it's funny for some reason, this makes me think about when Aaron Sorkin would talk about West wing and not just because Allison Janey plays, uh, (laughs) plays Goldie. Although I suppose that's, that's why that happened. Um, But it made me think about how he would talk about, the original conception in the original notion of the dynamics mm. in mm-hmm. the West Wing is that the president would be there very, very, very rarely. He would not be a main character. Yeah. And he would drop in every once in a long while. And then it became very clear to him, very clear to the writers and very clear to him pretty quickly that 
he was essential for the dynamic, especially yeah. like, you know, the, the way that workplace dynamic operated, which is you need mom and dad in order to recreate the family in the workspace was, you know, how these things work often. And, and apparently and also Martin, Sheen, Martin Sheen being yeah. awesome. Yeah. And apparently didn't cost so much per episode. So, um, mm. and, and maybe cost the same amount as Rob Lowe and then Rob Lowe left. So why not? You mm. know, if they had gotten someone who cost more, they probably would have used him less. That's, sure, that's, sure. that's no other producer thinking. It's like, how much are we paying this guy? Well, he's going to be in this for two pages. Yeah. But like, he's got an episode rate, like use him or don't put him in the episode. <laughs> so, Right. But that's, but, but that's also similar. I mean, what, what imagines David Tennant has got to be the most expensive voice actor in this show. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, much as might, might like Danny Pudi, it's not Danny Pudi, you know, it's not, it's not Danny Pudi. No. Yeah. It's not, it's not Beck Bennett. It's, it's definitely not Bobby Monaghan. No, no offense, Bobby. Um, <laughs> like really sorry. Did not like you guys do an amazing job. You're not listening. That's okay. Um, but yeah, like, uh, ain't no one working for scale. Um, and, and yet, and yet tenants in every episode and you know, they're yeah. not there's, in every episode. Yeah. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not losing any, uh, they're not losing any value. I'll just put it that way. But yeah, they, they haven't really <laughs> given him, um, they haven't given him the center stage like this. Um, and and it wasn't lost on me that he was really going for that the his crazy screwed Scottish accent in this one. I mean, like he he would turn two syllable words and they would just go on for like <laughs> for for like ten measures, you know. I wasn't I wasn't dialed into that. I was I think this time out I was sort of I don't know I was I didn't the second watch I I. I guess because I had been, I'd, I'd expected one thing on the first watch, didn't get it. Mm. So I went and watched the original, got what I was looking for. This mm. time, you know, I was a little more keyed into like the warmth that does exist between them, you mm -hmm. know, like, but it, it's definitely one of those episodes that like kind of disappointed me on my first watch. So this time I wasn't, I wasn't searching, expecting to find, you know, more than that. I would like the boys are just there as comic relief. It's kind of interesting. It's like the boys are really right. just being used as, as chorus. Um, Glomgold gets to have a fair amount of fun. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, just truly, truly delightful. <laughs> I love the, I love the, you know, what's the, you know, I can't remember what the, what the exactly device was, but he's like a oh, cheap glum gold, you know, thing. Uh, like he's upset with the quality of his own products. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and the little, the, the, the running gags about the, um, about the stolen um, hors d'oeuvres. Uh, that's like a, the whole, whole big thing between them. Like this, this is how petty mm. these two guys are, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a fine good episode. Uh, White Agony Plains, uh, uh, I believe it's the White Agony uh, claim is Scrooge's claim in the comics. Um, mm, I see where that comes from. I don't know <laughs> what 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 is White Agony. 
I, I, I know. I mean, the, the title also, especially in the context of this day and age, the title kind of set me up for something a bit more complicated than what happened. I mean, White Plains, of course, is white. There's White Plains. Yeah. New York, which is not far from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. Um, I, I can trace one of my parents back there. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Which brings us to. Unless there's something else we want to touch on, because I think this feels like the minor. It's a good episode, but it's like the minor episode of, of, of this. Segment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, brings us to what is definitely episode 16. Um, what is so far the what is, remains my favorite episode, I think, of, of this set. Uh, and it's definitely the best episode so far. Day of the Only Child. Um, which I want to say, you know, manages to also do some auto critique during the episode mm-hmm. uh, of both itself yes. and the whole series, comedy action and heart. Who wouldn't want to watch this show? Um, as, as stated by uh, Duford himself um, <laughs> in his sequence. So um, do you want to take point on this? Cause I just took point. on the Well, the way, well, I mean, the way I want to start it out is to say uh, you're an only child, correct? I am an only child. It is true. You are not. I so so here's the thing. Um I have a half sister who um who I lived with for about uh from age like when she was born to about six and then uh my mom moved away. And so so I have a half sister and like I I as 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 my my mother likes to say, like psychologically speaking, I operate as I operate as an only child. I'm certainly not an only child, and I love my sister, and she's awesome. Um, but we're not close. We didn't really go through that. We 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 didn't work through that sibling dynamic that is extraordinarily well articulated in this episode. Um, uh, the thing. This episode is so perfect. I mean, it's one of those stories where every single beat and every single image and every single plot point holds a true and powerful emotional kernel that ties back to the theme both of the that threads through the individual episode and character. Um so it's Dewey, who is your avatar and my avatar in this show, and he—that's the blue has one day... for anyone who's not really paying attention somehow. So, pardon? That's the blue one for those who aren't paying attention somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's red, blue, and green yeah. for Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yeah. Um, and he has a a day or a holiday where he gets to pretend as if he has no siblings and that he is an only child. And the episode is broken up into um, segments where in the first segments where you see what each of the brothers do while they're by, while they are alone, while they are being an only child first Huey and then um, Louie and then Dewey. And what's astonishing about every single adventure that, each one of the boys goes on is that it 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 plays out their relationship to their to their brothers 
in some way. Um, for for Huey, he's going off on a um, on a junior woodchuck. What is it? It's a junior woodchuck. Uh, junior woodchuck. Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's a cookout, it, and specifically, he's trying to get his cookout badge. Um, and it's a it's a three person cookout. Right. So you've got to have three right. in order to. And so he's really upset that Dewey is picked today of all days because he needs it's them. a betrayal. Yeah, it's a it's a deep deep betrayal. Uh, and he doesn't understand why they won't just do what he tells them for once. Um, I I realize classic classic oldest classic oldest child dynamic uh, behavior. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he like really confirms that he is not the middle one um, in in, <laughs> yeah. in 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 this one. Um, and so, of course, he winds up um, becoming the target of. Uh, the Beagle Boys, our, our primary Beagle Boys, uh, with Big Time and his also a trio of brothers, also a trio of brothers, and uh, the plot from the Beagle Boys becomes to uh, infiltrate the Junior Woodchucks, uh, which Huey, of course, identifies them instantly. Like those aren't Woodchucks; those are Beagle Boys. To which Launchpad responds, uh, "You know, Junior Woodchuck Code Number Two Fourteen: Never speak ill of another Woodchuck." Like Launchpad <laughs> just just like any clueless adult uh, looks at the letter of the law and not the spirit and puts a child into danger. Um, what a what a wonderful lesson for right now. Um, and of course, uh, because this is a story, um, those those Beagle Boys, uh, Huey, Huey treats them better than big time ever could. And they flip their allegiance and. Mm-hmm. I think I think maybe the most affecting moment is, you know, we we learn that Big Time beats his brother because we get a moment where you know, Big Time raises his hand and then we cut away and we hear whack whack and we see that the guys have been thwacked. We don't see the violence, but we hear the violence and we know it's occurred. And a little bit later on, after Huey's watched them haphazardly try to get him into a trap. And so he just keeps on teaching them the right way to build the trap. They've flipped their allegiance and he raises his hand up and the Beagle Boys flinch. They're getting ready to be hit. And he pats them on their backs. And they they know they know positive mm, the positive yeah. physical uh, manifestation yep. of brotherly love for probably the first time in their lives. Which of course means that the proper thing to do is to go kidnap big time because you know <laughs> and tie him up for their new boss uh <laughs> right right and huey gets exactly what he wants he gets two younger brothers who'll do exactly what he says yeah and he and he's got to find out that he's got to be really careful for what he wishes for wishes for which is exactly also what louis is going to learn because he wants to go hang out with doofus drake who is the most um he's he's the richest kid in Duckburg uh, and uh, he's taking the advantage of only siblings day to declare himself as Scrooge's only heir um, which is so central to his identity um, and uh, and Doofus of course is based off the old DuckTales character of Doofus Drake uh, who was another member of the ironically enough another member of the Junior Woodchucks but here is very much not Woodchuck material and um, 
And Louis going to learn over the course of that, that like his, his dream to go live the high life, it's going to come with a big, big cost. And in, in as well, he, he goes through some stuff first. I mean, yeah. what's, what's amazing about, about this sequence to me is that not only does it, does it fit perfectly into this individual episode, but it recapitulates all of the lessons that uncle Scrooge has been trying to teach them about, about, about wealth. I mean, the parts of, like, to the extent that Scrooge is responsible about wealth, at least in terms of the, the acquisition of it. Um, because like doofus is what happens if you are a rich kid that doesn't get the lessons that uncle Scrooge is trying to teach. Yeah. And, and I loved, I loved when Louie, but Louie doesn't learn that lesson very quickly because the first lesson he learns from doofus is, Oh, I see real wealth is not caring. If people think you're crazy. <laughs> and then they proceed to go <laughs> smash a bunch of stuff. Like they're destroying Rodin's and like, like, good God, what else? Like several, 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 like, you know, Duckburg versions of, of clearly priceless pieces of real world art, Fabergé eggs. And it's just like, it's, it's the best thing ever. It's like, he's already, he's already, you know, paraglided into a cotton candy tilt a whirl, uh, you know, uh, like all these things that he's gotten to do so far, but this, this is the true thing. Uh, uh, just this rampant destruction, but, um, he, he, he quick, then he quickly learns, oh, there are limits and the limits right. are the, the personal whims of the one with the most money and power because he raises, yeah. he raises the, the fire poker up to, um, Clumama or whatever. I can't remember what he said. Uh, but a, a picture of Doofus's grandmother, a painting who's who he inherited his wealth from. And that's enough to get Doofus very, very angry. Uh, and it's disturbing. Like in, in the same way that, that the, that the way physical abuse is depicted in Huey's story, the, the, the way that the, the, the disturbed psychology of Doofus is dramatized is is also very disturbing. I mean, these stories are disturbing. Yeah. Well, and Doofus is Doofus is like represented. He is the most Looney Tunes character we've mm. had in this entire. I've been watching the um, thanks to HBO Max. I've been watching uh, both a few of the older Looney Tunes and also like the new work that they're doing. Um, uh-huh. And and the new work that they're doing is you know very post Ren and Stimpy, very post like. There's a there's a lot of the you know Cal Arts and Titmouse you know vibe going on in, in some of this stuff, and um, there there's there's even like a there's a kind of a certain bulbousness to Doofus and Doofus's design that sort of speaks more to that school than than mm. really speaks to the design of this show. Like he feels kind of like. Uh, like an alien design, like he 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 belongs in a slightly different world than the world we've got. Um, you know, mm. he's he's in some ways it's like it's his wallet chain. I think is one of the elements that kind of like feels out of place for for this Duckburg. 
Um, and his face, like his face is just psychotic. You know, he, he looks like he's having an episode yeah. the entire time, which is a slightly also traumatic thing. If you, you know, if you remember the original show to see an original series character kind of character assassinated like this, you know, um, like if, if I, if I had any attachment to Doofus Drake as a character, which I don't. I would be so mm. broken hearted. Like I have attachment to Goldie old guilt, obviously as per the last episode. And I was a little disappointed in the Goldie we got. And so here's another, you know, character. And it's just like, Whoa, what the, what the hoopity heck is going on with this? Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a way in which like a lot of the villains have some, grotesqueries to them. I mean, the, the Beagle Boys, particularly right. the, all the Beagle Boys during that first episode where like the, the, those re- recreating the Warriors, you know, there was grotesquerie going on there, but but there's something just extra disturbing to watch. Um, I also thought it was interesting with this segment, I, I want to talk about the structure again because we've never seen the show commit to three acts, three vignettes, no cutting away. Mm -hmm. We've never kept the camera locked on a character before. Um, Mm -hmm. And at first it was uncomfortable when the first time I watched it. Really? Uh, Just a little bit. I was like, well, what's going on with the other guys? Um, And then also the first time I watched it, I, when the tree comes down into at the end of the doofus segment, the smashing the first segment into the second segment. Um, I remember the first time I watched it being a, being a little annoyed and not liking that they didn't keep the segments clean initially. This time that quibble was gone completely. In fact, I actually love that they did it because mm-hmm. they managed to have this like very clean structure and be breaking it at the same time. Like they managed to right. have their cake and eat it too in a way that also felt totally natural and necessary of like, well, we, we can't really keep the boys apart. And this time I also realized that this episode is in some ways structured like a three wishes episode. Oh yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. It's like every, every, they all get exactly what they want and it goes horribly, horribly wrong only to learn exactly what they need, which is super classic. And it, it's funny because as you were saying that, I was thinking about our, our our older, our earlier conversations about this whole um, contemporary need to subvert expectations. And and here we are in an oddly structured episode that does things structurally that it didn't do before, and it doesn't feel like it's being done just to do it as you say it feels organic it feels like it it's a manifestation of character and theme that doesn't seem like it's being um foisted on this ongoing episodic story that we're experiencing but that it just seems to grow out of the characters um and it feels natural it doesn't feel imposed it doesn't feel artificial it feels just right like there's sometimes you know you'll get an episode or an issue of something that like takes on a gimmicky conceit Mm 
and manages to, to to nail it. I'm thinking right now there's way back when, not way back when, but like sometime in the last decade when there was a bit of a revival in the G.I. Joe comic uh, because there was, um, they, they started off by like writing it from like a infiltration of Cobra story. It felt very grounded. And there was this episode, this issue that was about uh, the, the Tomax and Zaymont, the Crimson Guard twins. So these characters that classically were, were twins and mm-hmm. um, it was I'm trying to remember the name of it, the writer. I've met the guy, so like I feel really embarrassed right now. Costa, I think is um, or Da Costa, I think is his last name. Um, and it was structured so there was a mirror, like frame frame to frame, panel to panel, like it was mm-hmm. a palindrome, and absolutely brilliant, uh, and 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 slightly Did subtle. Did that predate the Rorschach episode of Watchmen? The Rorschach episode of of this show, or, or the I'm sorry, the Rorschach issue of Watchmen. No, no, because no, no. you're talking about the reissue of Tomax and Zaymont, so it couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a reissue, so no. So it's okay. it's it's. I mean, and the Rorschach, obviously, like that's that's the template there. But like he he manages to do it in a way that doesn't feel showy. And the Rorschach issue is the okay. same thing. Like it doesn't. It's all there, but it doesn't feel showy. Um, and well. Yeah, I mean, Alan Moore's Watchmen is the most egregious example of of uh, of making things so obvious that somehow it ends up being subtle. Right. Like that's that's a whole. We'll do the Watchmen show one, one day. <laughs> like, <laughs> if this this damn quarantine lasts long enough, like we'll be forced to do it because it'll be the only thing to keep our sanity going, which is a scary thought. <laughs> To keep our sanity, we dove into Watchmen. Holy God! And like when we say dove into Watchmen, we mean like all of it. Um, the uh, th- there's just sometimes structure is like the best way to manifest theme and character, and they they get that going on here too in a way that is odd at first, but then just feels like you couldn't tell this you couldn't tell the story any other way that was a really long way of saying that right welcome to the show and we haven't even got to the best <laughs> segment yet which is do we do night uh, uh do we do night i i must admit the the entire dewey segment was enough to push me to tears almost throughout the entire thing because he initiates Day of the Only Child and creates a world where he's the star and he has a talk show. But who are his guests? His guests are his brothers. He he creates his own world that he has power over. He's the youngest child, or the, I'm sorry, the middle child, rather. He has power over nothing. He's the missed child. And... So he creates a world where he is the center of the world, but is it a world where he's like uh, a great superhero? Is it a world where he is um, a great a great adventurer? Is it a world where he is the president? Is it a world where he's a soldier? No, it's a world where he gets to talk to his brothers about what he wants to talk about. Yeah, he 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 recreates his family. I mean, they're all recreating their family. Or the other two are recreating their family to a certain extent too, but 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 Dewey is doing it 
directly. He is speaking to his brothers. He's, he's turning his brothers into puppets, but it's his family. That's what he's making just so he's the one who is seen. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's almost like nothing else to say other than I just love, I love the conceit of Dewey making a talk show in his room. Um, And in some ways, like, like that's why he needed only child day. He needed to get the others out of, out of the house so that he could like take over a space and do something. Um, But yeah, but then he goes like, and then he comes to the point where he finally gets things rolling and he's like, our first guest, I didn't think this through. <laughs> like, right. should have should have thought this through. What am I gonna do? Okay, I'll throw a I'll throw a hat on a hat on a robot, and uh, that's what I think of Huey. Um, it's it's just it's a thing of it's a thing of pure beauty. Um, and I could watch I could watch endless episodes of Dewey Do Night. Um, Me too. Well. I've got I've got uh, some some special news for you then Zay. If you go to the DuckTales shorts on Disney Plus, there are uh-huh. there's lots of little character shorts they've done for the individual characters, but there's also I think about four or five short two or three minute episodes of Dewey Do Night. This makes me extraordinarily happy. Yeah. So there's there's more Dewey Do Night out there in the world. So also for any of you listening, if you haven't poked around and wondered why are there two listings in 2017 for DuckTales, what is this DuckTales shorts? Well, the answer is you got some Dewey Do Night coming to you, and uh, <laughs> uh, I'm 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 happy to share that that good word with you. Um, and and I like that the little the little button is even though like. You know, this this is like the least Webby's been in an episode in a while, other than the Goldie episode, uh-huh. um, which was the one right before. So, like, I guess that's not saying much. Um, but like, just just a little grace note of like how tight she is with Dewey. Um, he's yeah. like, what what you know? How much did you see? And she's like, nothing. But then she's like, she's holding on to that secret uh, for him because she knows he's embarrassed. Uh, but she really she's into what he's doing. Um, which, you know, yeah. Well, and, and then there's, there's the button at the very end as she sings the theme song. Exactly. Um, I just love, it. I just love it. I just love it. I just love, I love everything. And and it. I think there, there was a moment of a particular emotional intelligence when the, after having these separate adventures, the brothers come back mm. together in order to defeat um this this drone and also doofus and these these threats that have come and and the beagle boys to defeat the threats that have manifested um through their wishes uh and they defeat them together but then once they defeat them together there's still a little bit of day of the only child left and they all kind of go back off and do their own thing and and as initiated by Louis and Huey and not so much Dewey, but, but there's something, there's something almost so healthy about it. It's like, it's like they can come together and work as a group and then they can also break off or at least 
Huey and Louie can and go off and do their own thing and it won't damage their dynamic. Um, Dewey's a little more emotionally um, incomplete or not incomplete. He's, he's a little, he needs a little bit more. He's the one who's searching. It's why he's the one who's searching for the mother and yeah. not the eldest or the youngest. Yeah. But he's also, it is nice that like, you know, he's kind of, it would start off as a selfish ish thing for him has become a gift mm-hmm. to the other two. And that's right. And the only way they were able to um, defeat the villains by coming together was, you know, a, a classic, a castling move. They, they swapped. Yes. Antagonists. And by, yep. by doing that, they were able to make quick work of, of situations that stymied the other. Um, but yeah, that moment when they go off and it's like all, you know, I've still got a couple hours. Boom. You know, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's my monster is your cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if, the, if there were no more episodes of this series and I'm glad there are like, if this was it, like uh, this, yeah. this would have been worth it just to like get here. Um, ah, it's so good. But but the uh, and 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 I do like it is kind of funny to me that like you know like the 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 structure initially not all throughout just at the beginning of the episode when when we were first the first time I saw it it was like through the Huey segment I was like why are we sticking with one segment what's wrong what's wrong why is it working and then by the second segment I was like mm-hmm. no, I'm totally into this you know like it, it, right. it, and then by the end I was like I am so glad <laughs> this is my favorite <laughs> um, which oftentimes in in with anything in life like that that's seems to be my arc with things I love. Like, God, I hate this. This is, this is terrible. What's wrong with this? Oh, I guess I see why this is this way. And by the end, it's like, oh, like, I'm so glad this exists. Um, all right. Any other notes on our trifecta for this time out? Um, no. I think that I think I'm good. I, just, I, I love that episode so much. It was so lovely. Okay. So I'm going to do some going to do some quick math here uh, for folks who are playing along at home. So what we'll do, we will do we'll do a stretch of four this next time because uh, the ender's a two parter. So we'll do a stretch of three at the end, mm-hmm. um, which will effectively be like two episodes. Um, this will take us actually no, like that means we'll do we'll do two stretches of four. Um so we don't have anything odd out. So coming up next time is from the confidential case files of Agent 22, followed by Who is Gizmo Duck, then the other bin of Scrooge McDuck, and finally Sky Pirates in the Sky, uh, which uh, takes us through a whole bunch of um, different combinations of characters and uh, some cameos and some other fun stuff, um, which will then tee us up for uh, the end. So that's basically taking us through July of 2018. As I look at this, those are all four episodes, of July 2018. And uh, the, the, after that will be the, the last four episodes, which are uh, August of 2018. So, um, for all of the people who are downloading, there's there's far more than I expected. Uh, thanks for hanging with us on this, and for the few of you who come around and talk to me about the show, uh, I'm I'm so glad. And maybe we'll do something fun uh, in between seasons with our our most diehard of watchers and like have a little 
powwow. So fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 good to be back in Duckburg. It's good. I mean, my God, let's rewrite history. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're just discovering this feed, we've got hundreds of episodes about all things immersive and a whole website, No Persinium, that's dedicated to that, all of which is made possible by our Patreon backers. Follow us at No Persinium on Twitter and Facebook and learn how to support our work at patreon.com slash no persinium. The episode features the tracks Battle of the Pogs, The Adventure, and Dance Contest to the Music from the album Poopy's Incredible Adventures by Kumiku via the Free Music Archive and used under a Creative Commons license. Check out more at freemusicarchive.org. Until next time, remember, any crash you can walk away from 